Hello and welcome to the New Wave Nerds podcast. I am your host, Brennan Sem, and joining me once again is Tori Sem. How are you doing today, Dad? Hello, doing good. Okay, so we are back for the uh, second episode of the My Father Before Me segment. This week is not Willow. What do, what do we have this time, Dad? This week, uh, Willow was a wonderful show that showed you the uh, the beginnings of some wonderful science fiction and storytelling. And this week is not that. This week is uh, the movie Kroll. Kroll is a, a different animal in that it is something that I watched. Um, well, I would have been eight when it came out. And uh, it was just something that I, I burned the uh, the VHS up on, watching it over and over again. So I thought you had to do that too. Unfortunately, we didn't have a VHS, although that would have matched the tone <laughs> the tone of this movie. Um, okay, so where do you want to begin? Well, so let's talk about Kroll. Kroll, uh, well, so it was released in 83. It definitely didn't have any of the... Um, the big studios or anything that were attached to other movies that we've watched recently. The story is about a, well, it's a science fiction story. I would have to say a science fiction fantasy. So they were trying to ride high on some sort of a star Wars. Uh, there was an Excalibur movie that came out around this time too, that kind of people were trying to build on and maybe someday we'll have to watch that one as well, but it just didn't pan out. It didn't get, uh, reviewed very well it was um in the middle of a bunch of other big releases notably which uh return of the jedi came out in 83 as well so it was doomed from the start i believe but i feel like this was their this studio's attempt at trying to build on that star wars thing and get that that action thing going uh i guess let's see quick synopsis the story is we are in another galaxy long, far away. Um, and there is, uh, well, there's this alien species that runs around all the planets and tries to take them over. And for some reason on this one, it wants to kidnap a bride to make the queen. And the uh, would-be king who was trying to marry her at the time didn't like that plan. So, so that was how we started out. And then basically it just becomes a, a D&D adventure. Because we are talking about let's build our party up and let's go out there. And I think that uh, I got to think that the writers were thinking that kind of thing. They were thinking, uh, you know, this is what we did last Saturday night. We built up our party and we went on an adventure and let's just make it up as we go. Yeah, it, uh, it certainly felt like that's how they, they planned out the story. It was weird to me. OK, so I hadn't I had I remember hearing about this movie like from my childhood, and I know I saw the box forever, you know, because we always had that cool cabinet of movies. This was not at all what I expected it to be. I don't know what I thought it was, but I did not think it was like a weird medieval fantasy sci-fi space opera. It was like I was so taken aback as soon as like the aliens came. Well, so right off the bat, you see what they're trying to do. I mean, there's... uh there's the Star Wars side of it because there are these uh, stormtrooper type guys. Of course, in this, they're wearing black, uh, the Slayers or whatever. And they run around and they're shooting and they miss a lot, although they do actually hit some things. Uh, so you've got that to start off with. So you've got a space fantasy, you know, in, in uh, Star Wars, you've got your lightsaber. Well, here they wanted to have an iconic weapon happen to be this glaive thing. 
You know, so so it, they were following that same pattern of uh, space opera, space fantasy, trying to have an iconic weapon, some iconic young heroes to get people excited. There's the old hermit who comes in and, and helps. You know, you got your Obi-Wan archetype there that comes in to uh, help the uh, the young hero get on his feet and teach him the ways. Um, you've got the princess. He's got to go save. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's that was all it was, and then they had to try to build something out of that. Yeah, it's a very classic fantasy type story, apart from the massive aliens <laughs> that somehow managed to disappear and reappear, reappear wherever they want every twenty four hours. Well, you definitely, and the the funny thing about that is, you know, a lot of times the reason you do aliens or that kind of thing as your bad guys is because when you kill them, it's not as gruesome. Right. If we don't kill something that looks like us in a movie, then it's easier to get a PG rating or, you know, or, or that sort of thing, which is interesting when the first thing you notice when you kill these aliens is their brain falls out of their head and goes <laughs> digging into the ground for some reason. Now, we never get any payoff on that. They never come back up. We don't see that maybe maybe I guess they're swimming through the ground back to uh, the uh, the castle to be made into new slayers. But uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Right. So, I mean, and, and there are some some pretty rough scenes in this movie. You've got, uh, you know, people getting choked out by the monsters, stabbed with giant claws. Uh, it's 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 quite a thing. Uh, but that's where you kind of look at it and say, OK, well, we bring in the aliens, we can kill them and it's not too gruesome. And then they do that sort of thing with it. So I don't, I'm not exactly sure what tone they were going for with it. Yeah, it was all over the place. There was like weird, like with the uh, the traveler they picked up on the road, he was obviously the comedy relief. Uh, but then they would have scenes where it's just like a close-up of a guy getting like choked to death for no reason. Like it's completely dark. Yeah, I don't know if, if they even knew what they were doing. <laughs> I don't think so. And, you know, there were things I was kind of reading up on it a little bit and just learning more. It was one of those that I think they said they started development in 1980 or something. So you think that, uh, uh, let's see, 80 is when Empire Strikes Back. So really the only thing they're going off of probably is the Star Wars craze. There's a little bit of a Tolkien to it as well. But then again, there's Tolkien and everything. Um, but, you know, when there's talks of rewrites and that sort of thing and always trying to work through things. I know... Uh, you know, one of the scenes when the old guy goes to see his girlfriend in the uh, in the spider web, uh, there was actually a scene written where our hero was going to come in with the glaive and kill the spider to save him, you know, and stuff. But, of course, they cut that all out. I think there were lots of rewrites, and they didn't exactly know the tone they were going for here. Um, it does, you know, it, it, it was a big budget movie for the time. It had a budget of 27 to $30 million is what I saw. Um, and if you compare that to uh, Return of the Jedi, came out in the same year, had a budget of just $32 million, a couple million more, up to $42, i have seen numbers. So it was slightly less than Return of the Jedi. Which is mark sad. <laughs> yeah, mark markedly different in, in quality. Uh, but it definitely, I think that a lot of that was up to, uh, like you say, not knowing what they're doing and uh, where things were going with it. Yeah, I don't understand why they thought it would be a good idea to release it around the same time as Jedi. Because even if your movie's incredible, something like Jedi is going to pull in massive numbers. You know, nobody's going to even look at your movie. And this movie was clearly not incredible. Yeah, I didn't look in to see when it was released. Now, you you look at the 
year. And you got to think back then, nowadays, there is a little bit more of a fight for your movie going dollars because it's so easy to get things streaming online, that sort of thing. Right. Back in the day, it was kind of a, you've got your, your networks and then you've got the movie theater, right? And that's what you did as a kid, you know, to go out there. So I'm, I'm assuming that they thought, well, it's big enough. Now, I don't know how close it was to any of these other movies, but you also had besides Return of the Jedi, you had Superman 3, which, of course, is going to kill everything off um, because that's going to be a money draw with uh, Richard Pryor in there, of course. Um, but you had all kinds of movies that were coming out around the same time. And this one, you know, it was one of them where I suppose they looked at it and they thought, I think we can make it stick, and then it didn't. Right, and I guess that is a valid point. I didn't, for I didn't think about the fact that you know the theater is the only place where you really get to enjoy the movies. So yeah, I, I guess in that case, that's actually might be an intelligent idea then to try and put it, especially if it was released after Jedi. Some people were probably looking for the next cool sci-fi fantasy thing. Yeah, so if that, it, it's got to be point. far enough, like you say, that the Jedi f- fever runs down, but then. Uh, you got you're still itching for something, and I suppose that's what they ran with it. I guess I, I looked it up, and of course, it domestic it only made like sixteen and a half million, so about half the budget. And you know, of course, I think they say nowadays that you got to expect that when you see a budget, you got to double that for all the costs they do for marketing and stuff. I did hear one thing they had a a, a marketing scheme going where they had an award or a prize, some kind of contest, and the prize was that you got to. Uh, get married wearing the costumes of of the two main characters, Co, Co, Cohen, Cohen and Lissa. And uh, I guess from what I read, the uh, the the, the uh, competition kind of flopped because there wasn't enough interest and wasn't bringing people in. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why. So that, that little marketing scheme failed on them. But uh, I did, I, I also wanted to point out, I was looking it through here, Roger Ebert, Siskel and Ebert, you know, their review is great. It was uh, one of the most boring, nonsensical, <laughs> illogical fan- fantasies in all time. So. Sounds like Roger Ebert. Yeah, so they had it down pretty good. It's kind of it was kind of fun. I was listening to their whole uh, their whole spiel. It's out on YouTube there, but uh, it was pretty quick, pretty 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 sweet. So <laughs> <laughs> hit it right on the head. Oh man. Now I will say, you know, there's a couple things, and, and the reason we watch these, besides the fact that I want you to see, uh, you know, where we started or where I started as far as uh, geek and fantasy nut and that sort of thing, but you can you can definitely see if anything, this movie does one thing that really makes us appreciate what we we're talking about with uh, Willow last week or last time is that um, that scene where I mean Ergo's main uh, ability is to uh, shapeshift. Right, he he changes themselves into into different animals. Now we talked about last week a lot about how Willow, the ILM team developed the morphing technology that then went on to Terminator Two and stuff, and that was eighty eight, and they made it up for that movie. So obviously it wasn't around at this time. So you it gives you a good indicator of what they probably thought they would have had to do, and what they they said what they did is they did uh, a series of blow ups. Uh, where they uh, they took pictures of the dog, like for example, when he turned into a dog, of the dog and the actor, and they would change their size digitally, and then or not necessarily digitally in, on the film, but then they would use artwork to draw the transformation, and and that's how they would have had to do it before we got the the morphing technology of Willow. So you can see 
you know, just the, the leaps that we made between then, which of course, you know, we talked about last week, how that morphing went, went nuts. Right. But it, it, it was a good indicator of what we we're dealing with as a comparison there too. So they said that, uh, the suit for the beast, they were super excited about it, uh, because it was the first self-contained animatronic suit that everything could be controlled with one wire. They were super excited about that really? for some reason. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, now, if you watch the film, you can tell that they weren't really confident about it because every <laughs> shot of our main beast is uh, out of focus or even the, the, the video is even spliced where his mouth was up by his eyes, you know, at one point and stuff. So, yeah, that was weird. That whole, I don't, any scene with the, um, the princess or the queen, I whatever she was at this point, whatever, any scene with her in their weird floating fortress was just so weird. I had no idea what was going on. Well, that actress has come out and complained. Of course, you know, this is 83, so it's different, but you know, the, the whole part of, or her whole job was just to be the scared little damsel in distress the whole time, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, But it is funny to note um, something that gets pointed out a lot that she was uh, disappointed in too is, she was a, a young, unknown uh, European actor because they did a lot of the shooting over in the 007 studios in, uh, I think it's in London. So m- that's why most of the actors are English actors. Uh, well, she was too English. So they overdubbed her. Everything she said in the movie, they overdubbed with an older lady because they felt that American audiences would want a more American accent and a slightly older voice. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, That's the worst. so when you're watching the movie, you're not even hearing her voice because they thought it was too young in English. That's so funny. I don't know. I feel like that sort of, I mean, at least the young part, sort of lends to the whole damsel in di- distress idea. I it don't definitely, know. yeah. It's 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 odd the way that the reason some of them decisions are made just to uh, to to bring that out and make it more acceptable for u.s audiences i guess but. wait so her whole role in that movie was to just stand in this weird room that looked like an eye and run around yeah that was all she now now wait a minute she had that magical fire somehow oh that's that true she pulled out a water out of the water and held the entire movie just so that she could hand it off i forgot about that that was so stupid which you know leads me to believe does everybody who get married in this world, do they all have this fire throwing ability because that's part of the marriage ceremony? Or is this just a, a king marriage ceremony? Yeah, I don't know. Because, well, when the guy, the old hermit man, spoke to the lady, he was like, ah, she's a special woman. She's got your name. Which uh, I was like, okay, but maybe she's supposed to be magic? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Because it, it's definitely not a king's only thing or else when the slayers come, wouldn't the kings be shooting fire out at the bad guys? You know, so. <laughs> Unless... You can only conjure it when it's in water. Yeah, or maybe they gave it away just to pass it on to the kids, and that's why the Slayers came at that time. They knew. Oh, yes. Yeah, we got it all figured out now. <laughs> now the movie's great. <laughs> no wonder. It was just so hilariously bad. It was, and it and it was, yeah, it feels like something where they had, we've got some money for some visuals, and we've got this uh, idea of a cool weapon which doesn't get used until the very end, probably because it costs money to animate it. Uh, but, you know, it's one of them things. And I got to say, you know, when I was a kid, I remember having countless uh, glaives cut out of cardboard that I was throwing around the house. I'm sure I hit my mom with them once or twice. Um, so the glaive was fun. You know, I even remember trying to make it so that I could fold down the little blades 
uh, on the cardboard so I could make them pop out. That's you know, funny. like it did. But so, I mean, it was they were trying to make an iconic little weapon there. And and it um, you do see in um, Ready Player One in the movie, they actually take out the glaive during that big battle and they and they focus on it and he they use it in the really? battle. So you ought to catch that out one That's of those times. It'll it'll be fun to go rewatch that movie after watching all these old stuff. We're <laughs> making you watch references. all the '80s stuff. No, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to stick to the '80s stuff that they had the license for, I guess. But uh, yeah, so so I mean that was kind of a thing at the time. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it was like I say, you're kind of starved for uh, this kind of entertainment at the time, and if you are a kid like me who grew up and again about eight eight years old is when uh return of the jedi was done you got to think well okay now i'm ready for the next thing you know but obviously this one didn't take off as the next thing so oh and honestly thank the lord (laughs) thank the lord that would have been rough if we had like a couple movies set in this universe i don't even know where they would have how how it would just where do they go? <laughs> well, don't worry. Well, I'll make you watch Beastmaster. That had sequels. Oh, yeah. It's going to be very similar. That would be fantastic. I mean, a couple other things we got out of this movie. We got uh, James Horner, of course. And I was, you know, while we were watching it, I was pointing out, if you closed your eyes and weren't paying too close attention, you heard the Wrath of Khan soundtrack. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. So I, I, I would be curious to, uh, I'm sure somebody's done it on YouTube, done some kind of comparison, but I guarantee you there are some... Some notes and in, in, in the in the exact same order that he lifted straight out of that, probably because he knew what kind of movie he was writing for. <laughs> yeah, similar similar fanfare and motifs for sure. Right, which made the soundtrack probably the best part of that whole movie. <laughs> Honestly, I, I mean, it did. It was an epic soundtrack, and because it has that feeling of Wrath of Khan, which is also an awesome movie, I can see where that kind of builds it up a little bit. But, yeah, uh, that did mention you know that James Horner went on. He, he used some of the same tones in Alien. As well, so, or excuse me, Aliens, it was. So, so I mean, obviously, he got his, his big start there his early in his career. And, and, of course, we know we hear James Horner stuff all the time. But just the fact that he's responsible for the uh, the Star Trek theme that everybody knows, because that was the one, the one, the one from Wrath of Khan is the one they took everywhere. Um, I think that's the one that went into uh, Next Generation as the theme, if I remember right, but. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, obviously that kicked a lot of stuff off, and he, and you recognize that right away. So, what else did we get? Okay, so we also got uh, a young Liam Neeson, who uh, appears in the movie. Uh, he was also in within that time. He is just getting a start, and he was in that movie Excalibur. I messaged, I mentioned before. Now I only watched Excalibur. It wasn't one that pop, thought on my list that. Uh, I need to make you watch because it wasn't uh, very formative in in those years. But uh, I do remember that one. Um, Robbie Coltrane, we got, uh, uh, young Hagrid. Yeah. You um, can definitely tell after you put it out, I was like, I couldn't stop hearing his voice. Yeah. So yeah, of course, you know, he's not wearing, he doesn't have the beard, but he, he's definitely, uh, front and center there. A couple other actors you don't recognize that. So the, um, yet, but you will soon, um, the lady in the web, the old lady in the web, the old lady makeup. Of course, the actress was younger because they had the scene where she lost it. And she was younger. Um, that is that actress, Francesca something, uh, goes on to be um, Lady Jessica in the 84 Dune movie that I'm going to make you watch one of these okay. days. And then um, the uh, old uh, Obi-Wan type, something with a Y his name is, He's a, is that wanders around right at the beginning. He is um, 
Thufir Howard in the uh, Dune 84 movie. So you got a couple, you got people moving on to Dune right afterwards. But Freddie Jones. Freddie Jones, yes. Oh, he died <laughs> like three years ago. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But I mean, and he's been in, he's the kind of guy that you see in a lot of things. I mean, um, that he pops up and you know, he's got a very distinctive face. But of course, that uh, Dune 84, I recognized him from that right away. He was sort of the um, the deus ex. I know everything <laughs> with no explanation. They were just like, you're going to accept that this old man knows everything about the universe and you're going to like it. <laughs> and that's uh, one of the things that I saw um, that was poor, you know, the poor writing. We talked about the, the story and how it goes everywhere. Well, there are three cases where he says, well, this is the only way we're going to figure out where that place is. And then as soon as that doesn't work, well, there's another way. You know, we go see the old guy with the emeralds or we go uh, see the spider lady, you know, and we just keep on going until we figure it out. So like you say, the deus ex machina there. Um, But that, you know, I I heard somebody uh, reference this as like uh, it's painting yourself in a corner, but then you get out because you learn how to levitate. You know, just making up. That's the writing just kept on going until they got to where they needed to be. Right. You know, so. I don't know. It, it It's definitely, yes, it was there for a visual spectacular, and that's why eight-year-old me probably glommed onto it so well. But Sure. Well, yeah, and I'm sure at the time it would have been very fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course it was. you got to think of what we had to compare it to. Now, there are no lightning or laser swords. No, but, but they uh, did have terrible laser beams from guns. <laughs> that They were only one-shot weapons, though, too. Did you notice yeah. that? They would shoot once and then they turn it around. You would think if we can make a mountain that flies in space, our weapons can have more than one shot. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a musket, but with a laser beam instead and a bayonet at the end. I mean, that's obviously so that you can make sure you get some sword fighting done. But <laughs> sure, I suppose. Yeah, it would be kind of hard for the regular people who only use swords and the f- the special glaive to combat laser weapons. Right. Well, that's uh, well, that's the. Uh, uh, Plot to uh, what's that Tom Cruise movie, Last Samurai. As soon as they show up with the Gatling guns, the samurais are gone. But. Oh, man. I forgot that movie existed, too. Yeah, it's worth a watch. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this was definitely one of those that um, stuck out that I watched a lot as a child just because there weren't as many options. 83, again, you know, you, you had your Return of the King and stuff, but the point of these movies is that we get a... DV or not a DVD, a VHS tape, and we wear that thing out. Or we we watch, we catch it on HBO. We wait for it to show up on HBO, hit the record on the beta tape so that you got it say got it recorded, and then you wear that out, you know, and stuff. So that was the good old days of, of the fantasy and adventure that we had. But that was like one of the most grandpa sentences I think you've ever said. <laughs> the VHS? What? <laughs> yeah. Pull out the video, you record it off the TV. You used to have to record it off the TV because you couldn't go out and buy it. You could rent it. I can tell you that back in the day, it used to cost like 80 bucks to buy a movie. You know, so that was, it was, now that was early on in things. I can't remember how, when they started going down. You know, I remember, you know, that's why video rental places were so big. Right. Because it's so much easier to go out and rent your movie than it was to try to buy your own and have your own library. Now, then you have your, uh, like I said, your HBO and you hit the record and uh, the VCRs had their handy dandy timer on them that you could set 
so that when you uh, looked ahead and saw it was we and by looking ahead I mean opening up the paper TV guide <laughs> that was in the newspaper <laughs> looking at HBO and stringing your eyes across until you found when your movie was playing then you could set the timer on the VHS if the clock was set right on the VHS so that it would start recording at 2 a.m. and then end it you know, four o'clock so that you had your movie ready to go. Oh, that's so funny. I can't even imagine that. That's so much work. The steps. I still can't get past the fact that movies cost that much. Yeah. Back in the day. And, you know, I don't know whether that was before we were really going nuts in our family. You know, like I said, we had uh, we had the beta um, the, at the time. It was the beta or the VHS, right? The beta was the smaller one and the VHS. And we had the beta tape and then they standardized on the vhs i don't know why uh, but you know we there were days where we would have uh, our neighbor and we'd have two vhs's one going in and then one going to the tv and then you'd hit play on the top one bottom on the re- or record on the bottom one so that as it was playing one vhs you could record it on the other one and make your own copies and that was how <laughs> we passed movies around or, or made a made a copy for yourself uh you know that was that was the way that you uh, enjoyed your cinema over and over again back in the day. That was our version of streaming was grabbing that big VHS block and shoving it in the uh, the thing as long as the little kid didn't shove a, uh, a sandwich in there. <laughs> Did that happen? Oh, it happened. That, that's more of the uh, the sitcom comedy back in the day. There's always a little kid who shoves something into the VHS player and ruins it. So yeah, this was one of those that uh, you know my mom can attest to. We. It was one of those that we would put on and just run over and over while we were playing, you know, action figures out in the living room or something like that, you know. So it was a background show. Um, same as, uh, you know, like I said, in the future, we get you to watch the Hobbit cartoons. Those were always kind of on in the background and stuff. So, uh, but we had all that stuff on, on VHS. Uh, I remember Wrath of Khan getting played quite a bit, too. Well, that's a good movie, though. <laughs> not, yeah. not on the same level as Crawl. No, no. But it had the same music. Yeah, that's probably where the similarities are. <laughs> oh. Oh, I love Wrath of Khan. I want to Yeah, really but that's not what this, this segment is about. It's not about the good movies. It's about <laughs> the ones you haven't seen yet, not the ones you have seen. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> this is Peter Yates. Peter Yates, yep. He directed, didn't he do the, um, that's David Yates who did the, the good Harry Potter movies. Yeah. The yeah. After five and on. I was like, wait a minute. I think, yeah, I think I saw trivia that this was Peter Yates's own, only sci-fi fantasy film. You'll be shocked to learn. So. Wow. After this one, he was like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Scratch that. I itch. tried it. I don't want to mess with horses anymore. <laughs> there was, there was, um. Quite a lot of footage of traveling in this movie as well. That seems to be a theme with movies back in the day. Well, it it's a lot a, of just walking or it, riding it horses. It was a two-hour movie. And, you, you know, you're talking about vistas and stuff. Now, I will have to say, IMDb Trivia, which is always correct, calculated out that those horses would be going 145 miles an hour. Wow. Yeah, that's some pretty serious horse riding. There. <laughs> so, obviously, that's why they could fly through space for no apparent reason. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, too. The fire mares. <laughs> yes. That was dumb. And then the guy was just like, they they set it up to be like something that was going to be really difficult. And then it was like at least seven minutes 
of them just chasing them around in circles until they finally got on top of them and well, just flew away in the distance. Obviously, it's the hero's journey. You have to tame the fire mare. But <laughs> and they, yeah, they knew which one was the leader, too. So they yeah. knew which fire mare to get. The gray one. <laughs> yes, of course. With no context. They're like, ah, the gray one's in he's charge. He's in front. Obviously, he's in charge. Yeah, that whole concept was um, fairly interesting. Yes, it was. But, you know, again, so the whole movie is just a build up and create your team. It's the journey thing, right? And it does feel like a D&D. Now, I, like I said, I, I had heard that it was originally going to be a licensed D&D movie, um, but then they lost the license. I heard that on a couple different things when I was uh, researching it. But then I've also seen places where TSR, the company that owned D- Dungeons & Dragons at the time, uh, published it has come out and said, no, they never had any kind of license or never any kind of talk. So I don't know whether that was just some rumor that started, but you can definitely get why it started because it is all about, here's our party, right? We've got our hero. We've got, uh, you know, ranger fighter, something like that. Right. Um, of course he ends up being a mage user. So I don't know, sorcerer at the end because he's got innate magic ability. Sure. Yeah. Like you do. Yeah. His, his patron was his girlfriend, wife. Uh, at the time, once they got married, um, you've got your uh, your cleric healer dude. Even though his healing was just to stick his fingers in some goo and rub it over things, but uh, you know the wise old man and stuff. Um, and then you got your band of thieves to go in there and help him. So I'm sure that we're going to see this exact same plot in that Dungeons and Dragons movie that's coming out next year. Or whatever. Oh yeah, that one looks like it's going to be really good too, doesn't it? <laughs> Which reminds me, I got some Dungeons and Dragons movies I got to make you watch before we get to that one, so you see how much better this one's probably going to be. Yay! <laughs> um, I wonder if it was like the kind of thing where they wrote it out and, like you, like you said, they were they played D and D and they're like, "This would be a cool movie," and then they approach the company and they're like, "Hey, will you let us do this?" And they're like, "No, that's terrible." <laughs> And then that's where the rumor started, or if it's just like completely unfounded. I yeah, I, or you know, I could see them saying something like, "Yeah, this is just like our D and D game or something." I can I can imagine that the inkling for this. I mean, obviously the 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 premise of it is the studio wants to get some of that Star Wars money, right? Sure. Um, or try to build on that. But I can see where they would have uh, said, okay, well, you know, here's our story that we've been doing every Saturday night for these past years because we're nerds who don't leave the house. (laughs) Speaking of Star Wars money, did they even, did they do any, like, merchandising with this? Or were they just like, no, it's a complete flop. There's no point in this. I don't remember any at the time. I don't remember any action figures or anything like that. Um, You would think that that whole Glaive thing would have been a, a... you know, a, a moneymaker weapon as well. That's something to, to sell to the kids. I don't remember it. I bet if we Google it, I'm sure there's something out there. But I don't remember anything being in the toy stores at the time. Of course, at the time, I would have been focused on the Star Wars merchandising. Because sure. at that time, I'm like, you know, you got to get the, the new guy we saw in Return of the Jedi. You know, because there's a whole new characters to buy. Which is why Star Wars merchandising did what it did. Right? <laughs> But yeah, I don't remember that as much on this game. Now, there was, uh, um, I do remember a video game. Uh, a video game, I, I can't remember if it was an Atari. I think it might have been an Atari. They had a, they did have an arcade game, and they had a video game out. I distinctly remember one of the levels uh, was dodging rocks falling down the mountain, which was a very <laughs> tense scene in the movie and, and gets you every time. 
Um, but then you're yeah you're throwing the glaive at the slayers, which he never did. Well, he did at the end, I guess. But yeah, so I mean, it's it it was a it was a game that came out, and um, I think it was actually it was somewhat well received. The game was because it had some good gameplay for an Atari game of the time. But. Sure. Yeah, that scene with the boulders. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'd forgotten it until just now. That was so horrible. Well, the whole... Okay, so the glaive is something that nobody knows where it's at. And nobody, only the chosen one or the, the you know, the hero can find it. Well, he found it by, by dodging rocks falling down a... Not a very steep slope. Yeah, like seven rocks, too. <laughs> and then he had to stick his hand in what I thought was lava. Yeah, so, yeah, that was... And he didn't even, like, bother to grimace. Like, he didn't yeah. even bother to act like it kind of bothered him. He was just like, oh, yeah, cool. Well, that's definitely, I, I feel like that that must have been one of them fake traps. That's why it's there all the time. Oh. You know? It's some kind of illusion or something that only the uh, the pure can reach through and not worry about it. But. Well, what they the easier way to do that without having him reach into some stupid lava would have just been to have him hold his hand out. And if he's the chosen one, it'll come out. Because he's obviously, like, using some kind of, telekinetic ability throughout the rest of the movie when he's throwing it around. Well, yeah, and the, the old guy, when he comes down from the mountain after he gets it, he doesn't even let him try it out. I mean, you're going into weapon with this battle that, or going into battle with this weapon that nobody's ever used before, <laughs> and you're expected to not use it until you're ready. Well, then how do you learn how to use it? Well, obviously, it's just magic. But. In his, in the old man's defense, he was just going to chuck it down the side of the cliff. <laughs> Like, there was nothing there. It's not like there was a target. He was just going to throw it and see what happened. Well, it would have flown around (laughs) cool-like. Yeah, but then we would have known that the animation style for when they finally busted it out was going to be terrible. Well, it was... I mean, the main purpose of it was a buzzsaw to cut through that building. Yeah, that looks stupid, To get what's-her-name out, but... You know, there you go. There's your uh, your lightsaber again. <laughs> it can cut through anything. Now, it takes forever to do it, and it's noisy, and the whole time there would have been bad guys running everywhere. But My favorite part, though, is when every time he throws it, afterwards there's always, like, a really long scene of just him holding his hand out. Like, I don't know if he's, like, supposed to be directing it, but he's just with his hand out, and he's like... Oh, yeah. he's. Grimacing. I mean, he's controlling. It's his focus. His hand is his spell-casting focus, to use a and d term, but... Uh, <sighs> But, but, you know, you go back to that, you know, the final big um, infiltration scene. I mean, you get stuff in this movie that you don't normally see. You get guys being stabbed in the gut with uh, spe- spikes, you know. Yeah. And our main characters are dying left and right, or, or at least the ones that had lines. Not necessarily main characters, but at least the ones that had lines. You know, we lose Liam Neeson. We lose uh, Robbie Coltrane. You know, I mean, they, they give them enough lines that you're su- somewhat surprised they go down at the end. But. Yeah. I will say, I, I will, one of, the, I, one of the things I normally trash about a lot of movies is that there is no stakes. <laughs> but in this one, there was definitely stakes because, like you've said, a lot of people died. Yeah. In gruesome ways, too. Now you know why the, uh, uh, before, you probably never thought the uh, um, Temple of Doom with the, uh, the spike room closing down was scary, but now you see it, and I grew up knowing that that would stab you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, when all you're doing is trying to grab your dagger off the floor. <laughs> I love Indiana Jones. There was another scene that was really bad that I wanted to talk about, but now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> well, all of them. No. <laughs> well, okay, so 
I get you, you get the sense that like obviously these aliens are like a world-ending threat, but you never see them really do anything apart from attack the main guy and steal his wife. I mean, obviously there's like exposition. They're talking about how all the other cities are being destroyed, but you never see anything. Yeah, I mean, they do go, I mean, they wipe out that whole castle. If it wasn't for the old guy saving the prince, he'd be, he would have been dead. That's very true. Uh, and then, you know, they've got the thing and that, that sets up the, you know, the, all the little side quest is, you know, that it changes location every day. Well, if it can teleport, then why does it have to fly there from another planet? Yeah. You know? And, and the thing is, is it's kind of weird how they're talking about, and maybe it's just, uh, you know, again, story writing and stuff. But the opening credits is that mountain flying in from space and and land, landing on the planet. And the Slayers are coming out. Well, then all of a sudden we're at a wedding where they say, yeah, the Slayers have killed everyone. And now we need to band our our, our uh, kingdoms together through this marriage so that we can fight them. It's like, okay, well, if they're killing everyone, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how far have we gone here? You know, but yeah, I don't know. It, yeah. How long has it been? And yeah, why have we not seen anything? Why is it just like, ah, they're destroying the town? I don't know. And why does the beast need a queen from this planet? Has he got one from other planets back in that uh, mountain or something that he's he's just grabbed a clean queen at every planet? I don't know. I mean, there is the the prophecy. What it what, what is it? I put it down here. A girl of ancient name, which means that he has the same name as a spider lady. Sure, <laughs> that shall become a queen. That shall choose a king, and that together they shall rule the world, and that their son shall rule the galaxy. So there you go. We've got a kid coming up, and he's going to be uh, like Dune. He's going to be the uh, Jihad. But. Oh, so the Beast is trying to make it so his son rules the galaxy? That's is that what, what I, I guess be? now, you know what? I never thought about that until right now. The Beast was knew the prophecy somehow. Wow. I thought that that was because her name was... Uh, uh, ancient name. <laughs> yeah, he sure. He knew that this was the one for him. How did he plan this? How did he know that it was her right away? Like, it's not like... how Like, they didn't do any... You didn't see any research. They just came in and stole her without that, a second hesitation. And that's why I didn't think about it until right now that that is actually <laughs> probably what was going on there. I always just thought it was some uh, crazy guy flying in and taking grabbing some random woman. <laughs> Well, clearly he can't read all that well because the the queen has to choose the king. And she right. wouldn't have chosen him. Well, but he was tempting her the whole time with the pretty dress with the wing things on the face. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, he wanted her to choose him. So, I don't know. He's trying very hard. Yeah. She was free to roam about the castle, he said. Yeah. and Even though for some reason <laughs> when she went down a hallway, it started squishing her in. But <laughs> yeah. Free to go down the castle, which will alter so that you can't go anywhere. Perfect. Perfect little home. So, wow. yeah, this movie was definitely, like I said, one that uh, one for the ages. And I'm glad that you got a chance to see it and experience it. Uh, because, again, the whole point of all of this is that we're um, I'm starting to show you that how how things built built up to me being a grandpa who's going to make uh, <laughs> All my grandkids watch all this stuff too someday. So uh, we you can skip crawl. <laughs> you can skip crawl with the grandkids. Oh no, this is the best part. Uh, this movie, like, it's so. It's like even I can see how they could have made it good, and I'm not by any means like a genius. <laughs> I'm not an expert storyteller. 
I, even I can look at it from the outside and be like, if they had taken the time to do any exposition whatsoever and made the first act the Slayer's Landing and then taking over the kingdoms so that there is like some actual purpose to the wedding. And then the second act is them just, I don't know, trying to get the glaive. And then the third act was them trying to find the fortress rather than the first half hour being them setting up the stakes and finding the glaive. And then the other hour and a half of them trying to find the fortress. Right. Well, and so that's why, I mean, you think of Star Wars or the things that did make it this far and are historicals because they follow that three-act structure structure that you're talking about. Um, whereas this was another... I feel like this was one of those movies that, again, um, was put out there because at the time, if we make it pretty, they'll watch it, you know? But we are just getting to the point, in some cases, when you talk about action and fantasy, because, again, if you look at these movies the way they were... And you think of action fantasy at the time, you think of, uh, you know, the old Errol Flynn Robin Hood movies, the old Tarzan movies. They didn't need a story. They were just a fun, serialized action type of thing, right? Uh, So at the time, I got to wonder if the mindset was, we don't have to put this much thought into it. Let's just make a cool movie and maybe that'll bring people in. And it's kind of the same thing where you get uh, people thinking, um, you know, glomming on to one part of something and thinking that's the secret sauce. So they're glomming on to the fact that Star Wars is a visual fantasy spectacular. Right. And they think that's what made the money. Well, what made the money was it was a a three-act, you know, the Cambellian architecture archetypes working through this story. And, and you know, bait, and now granted, you know, everybody can talks about how it's derivative of other stories because that's what Lucas did, is he took the art, Cambellian archetypes, the, the old stories... And built a new one off of it, right? Well, this one was not that. It was a, here, let's go here. And here, let's go here. And now let's do it this way. And now let's see if we can do something cool, you know, and that kind of thing. And that, so it's a, it, there's two different mindsets there. And sometimes you even see that today. I mean, you could argue that sometimes the reason the DC movies aren't doing as well is because they aren't a cohesive story or something like that. Or, or we think about, some people's complaints with the Star Wars, um, the most recent sequels, you know, that it's not a cohesive story. It's just, let's take the Star Wars spectacle and, and they'll pay for it. And, and we did, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, they all made money, of yeah. course, uh, because of the spectacle, because it was Star Wars. But that a lot of that was built on the, um, you know, the promise of the early movies and the early stories that were actual stories. You know, and there's a reason that, you know, I'm looking behind you and I see the Star Wars books there. Because it built something that can create stories out of it. And this didn't, you know, it right. just didn't, didn't go anywhere. And that's why we don't got any more of it. You know, we don't even have a uh, Krull series announced like we do Willow, you know, because Willow, for some of its faults, still had a story that, that you went through and, and, and ran with it. Although you saw some of the inklings of, okay, well, I'm just going to turn you all into pigs and now I'll make them not pigs because we can do it. But, yeah. you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's, uh, um, but it still had this storyline that was cohesive, whereas this one didn't. Right. Yeah, and that's the difference not only in, I think, the actual story, but in the setting. Like in Willow and in Star Wars, Lucas took the time, well, Ron Howard for Willow, but yeah. the creators, they took the time to sort of, make it a universe that you wanted to learn more about 
Whereas for Kroll, they were just like, this is the universe. Now watch us fight aliens. <laughs> yes. Yep. They wanted to make a pretty movie and they tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely tried. I will not say that they succeeded, <laughs> but it is uh, still fairly, I'm going to give it a solid 4.3. Okay. So you will <laughs> see you had a seven, two on Willow. So four, three. Yeah. That's probably a solid one. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, I think you're lining up with a lot of the uh, Metacritic scores and the stuff that I've seen on it. <laughs> I think, well, yeah, like I said, it could have been, well, even, it could have been good, but even, like, the glaive, which I think is actually a fairly cool idea for a weapon, mm-hmm. and those sort of multi-bladed things you throw, I mean, they're super, they're, I think they're cool, like ninja stars or whatever. Right. It's just they didn't explain anything (laughs) they didn't do it very well you could have done a lot more with that alone you know but it was like let's go get this and then you'll have it well at the end that wasn't even the MacGuffin that saved him right yeah so yeah did Tron come before or after this the original one was that 86 is that 86 or 82 I have no idea I just pulled that number out of my behind yeah so Tron was uh, 82 82 okay okay so it is because the um, I haven't seen this movie forever, Tron. But I remember like the the um, they used like the frisbees, discs. yeah, the yeah, discs. and they yeah. were cool in that. Yeah, yep, that so, was definitely, and I mean that was a main piece of the movies as well, you know, uh, because it was it was supposed to store all their stuff on it, you know, memory discs and yeah. stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I can see where you're going with that. Is it you've got these iconic weaponry, but it just didn't pan out. Yeah, they did not. They didn't. They didn't do do the work, unfortunately. Um, but I, yeah, I, I do like the idea because I love the glaives in um, World of Warcraft. You know, uh, Maya Shadow Song, she's got cool glaives. Well, yeah, those aren't necessarily like they're massive, so she doesn't throw them all that often. But they're cool. Well, when they're cool, they are. I'm yeah. sure they throw them at some point. When they're <laughs> but you know, in in reality, I mean, if you look at if you look up glaive in D and D and another uh, historical weapons, in reality, a glaive in medieval. Um, a weaponry is a polearm. It's a yeah. giant polearm with a blade on the top or a slashing blade on the top, right? So so obviously they just took a cool name and went <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not quite as as similar. Don't get distracted by <laughs> I don't get distracted by Tron. <laughs> that looks so is that a scene from the movie? I don't remember that at all. Alright, Tron's on the list. Anyways, God. That was hilarious. That was like um Oh, is that where they took Moses from South Park? <laughs> Probably. From that one episode? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I finally got that. I, anyways, not important to to this movie. Um, do you have anything, any final uh, pieces of information? Any wisdom you want to impart? <laughs> no, I think we've, we've sucked out all the wisdom we can in this movie. <laughs> yeah, what little was left or was there. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, so solid four point. What I say, four three, four two. I think four, when you three. get to the decimals, it doesn't matter. But yeah, yes. <laughs> solid. Oh yeah, four stars. Um, and oh, <laughs> I was gonna say a worthwhile watch, but I couldn't say without a smile on my face. <laughs> oh, it is definitely. I mean, it. There's a reason that it is marked as a cult classic because people watch it for. I mean, mostly for the reason I'm watching. I, I wanted you to watch it, not because. Right. It's a great film or a great example, even of films of the time, 
but because it is a film of that time. Right. That is a standalone thing of that time that kind of gets you a feel for what some of the other options were at that time. <laughs> right. It is completely a thing of that time, right? It is is stuck in there. And I guarantee you, when I do get you to watch some of these other ones, like I re- referenced Beastmaster earlier, uh, and we talk about, you know, even Dune 84, is you're going to see some of this writing style that is, I've got a visual movie here. I've got a, I'm trying to visually say things, but it doesn't quite come off. Right. You know, and stuff. There are times that even the classics like the Dune from 84 aren't going to do that, you know, but uh, um, it is, just, like I say, it's just an indicator of the time. I mean, wait until we go for He-Man or not. You no, know, it was just called Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren. That's going to be a good one. <laughs> That's going to be very similar to what we got. So there's a glimpse, listeners, into our our future plans oh. for for how we are going to uh, torture Brennan. Okay, with that um, lovely little stinger and cliff note, we are going to end it here. So then uh, we will catch you next time. Well, let's just go through a glaive. I mean, you have room on the sword. That's well, actually, I was going to get a Klingon battle. Which is similar to a claim. It's got that thing, but it's, it's